Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tell me about your, your early career, then. Why did you want to become a footballer? Jermaine Pennant. I could have easily been led astray and just um, succumbed, succumbed to the, you know, like I said, the, the drugs and getting involved in selling drugs and dealing drugs and crime and, and, and gang warfare. But the, I think a lot of people saw the talent that I had and kind of protected me to a certain degree. But what was life like at, at home for you? You know, my mother um, left when I was three and my dad raised me along with my, his, his, um, his, his parents, my grandma and granddad. When you were in prison, how did, how did they treat you, both the staff and prisoners? Because, you know, you're in the limelight at this point and you're going to prison and it's reported on, it's talked about in many different ways. What was it like? Well, Welcome to the Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast focuses on the theme of second chance, exploring who deserves it, who has the authority to grant it and what it means. We speak with people from diverse backgrounds, including those who have been given second chances and those who some might argue don't deserve them. Jermaine Pennant is a former professional football player known for his on-field prowess and off-field controversies. After being signed for £2 million by Arsenal at the age of 15, he went on to play for prestigious clubs like Leeds, Arsenal and Liverpool. However, his troubled personal life including alcohol problems and run-ins with the law soon overshadowed his football career. Despite his success on the pitch, he was labelled a bad boy by his former manager Steve Bruce and the British media. In his autobiography, Mental, Bad Behaviour, Ugly Truth and the beautiful game, Pennant revealed that his upbringing and troubled relationship with his father, who was convicted of drug dealing, affected him psychologically to this day. He was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 39, which gave him clarity 
in understanding his past decisions, particularly his finance and careless life choices. Although Pennant has had his fair share of struggles, he is now determined to help others who find themselves in a similar situation. He's found love with Jessica Impizzi and is working towards a brighter future. With a focus on sport and mental well-being, Pennant hopes to change the public's opinion and share the real truth about his life experiences. Jermaine, thanks for coming in and talking to me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Same wise, same wise. And do you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm a big football fan, not a Liverpool fan, by the way, or Arsenal mm. fan. I'm a, I'm a Chelsea man, a team you didn't play for. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, the World Cup's just kicked off. England playing their first game today. Will you watch the game? Are you a football fan in terms of watching yeah, teams? especially big tournaments like this. Um, so I'll be, I, I watched the Qatar and Ecuador game. Yeah, I did. The first yeah. goal. The first goal was that... Uh, how I'm I'm completely scratching my head now. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, everybody reacted as in, you know, right, they're being paid, you know, something's gone wrong. That's the first thing I thought. I said officials are being Yeah, I mean it weren't the greatest opening game and no. they're the first team to lose. But so you watch the World Cup, you will watch the football game. Yeah, yeah. So I watch and, and that's what I'm curious about, you know, when you've played professionally as a footballer, whether after so many years, because you're at it since you're a kid, you go through the professional ups and downs, you played at some of the biggest clubs in the country. Do you go on to watch football? Do you still love the game? I mean, we have pundits coming out of the game, mm. but do you still go on to watch the game and love it in the same way you did when you were a kick in the park, a kid in the park kicking the ball? It's 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 a good question, but I feel now I'm a more of a fan of Liverpool than I was when I was in my playing days. Obviously, when you're playing, you can't really you have to support the team that you're playing for. But now I get more emotional when I watch Liverpool, if they lose or win, you know, I'm screaming at the TV, it ruins my weekend. Um, so yeah, I'm not, definitely not fell out of it. I've just become more of a fan. And and why Liverpool as opposed to the other teams you played for? Um, it's, well, I followed my, my father. He, as I was growing up, he was a Liverpool fan and their family was, so he just literally, you know, you just follow suit really. Um, so you were from a kid, a Liverpool fan, and you went up and played for Liverpool. I mean, yeah. that's a dream, dream, it, dream come true. It was true. literally, yeah, I had three dreams, you know, growing up as a little child. Um, and obviously, when my, my dad was obviously a Liverpool fan, he had loads of the, the DVD, not DVDs, the uh, videos um, of the John Barnes, the Kenny Dalglish areas. I used to watch them all the time. Um, it was like my go-to. So yeah, I've, I had three dreams and one was playing for Liverpool one day in my career, uh, becoming a professional footballer. Tick, tick. Yeah, and um, the one that I missed out was was playing for England. But I played for England all the way through until like under-21s, but just never made the senior the senior team. And, and why was that? Because you had the ability. I mean, you were a phenomenal football player. I remember watching you. You know, I'm older than you, but I remember watching yeah. you play football as, you know, just a football fan. You know, wh- why do you think you didn't get into the England team? Um, it was definitely, uh, I, I reckon, a little bit of the attitude, uh, probably off the field incidents, which definitely hampered me, me, me getting the England call up because I'm um, playing for your country. You've got to, to a certain degree, have a, a, a good image, um, which I didn't have the best at the time. So that probably played a part. Um, 
And that image starts from when, when you were young, from the little bits that I've, and I've, you know, I, I deliberately don't read or watch or listen to too much, although I've heard you speak when I've listened to some podcasts you've been on previously or some interviews you've given. Tell me about your, your early career then. Why did you want to become a footballer? Why did you have this dream? I mean, you talked about your dad and his love of Liverpool, but it also, you know, some kids turn away from what their yeah. parents want. But that wasn't you. I read that football was, you know, the thing that you wanted most as a kid. Yeah, it was something that was just, it's like a gift that I had. So, and um, as soon as I could walk, basically I was kicking things around the house, in the garden, football, no matter where I was. People used to say that. We used to see you walking the streets at night, but you was with a ball all the time. And it's just a passion that I had and something that I really, really enjoyed. And where I grew up was probably my saviour, my way out of the, the 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 guns, the crime, the drugs. So that's what really led my life rather than the other bad other bad path that I could have take. What, what, what do you mean by that? You mean you grew up, I know you grew up in Nottingham, is yeah, it? Yeah, Meadows, Nottingham. Um, it's, a, it's an estate, council estate. Um, it, at the time it was, well, you know, at the time it's it was what I was used to. But, you know, when you grow old and you look back and you go, yeah, it was a hard conditions and you could have easily or I could have easily been led astray and just um, succumbed, succumbed to the, you know, like I said, the, the drugs and getting involved in selling drugs and dealing drugs and crime and, and, and gang warfare. But the I think a lot of people saw the talent that I had and kind of protected me to a certain degree. How do they do that then? How does somebody see that you have the talent and then take you away from that temptation of being with your mates and doing the things that they do? Well, it's only recently that I found out that it was actually my father because he was he was involved in all of that. And um, You mean the criminal the, lifestyle? The criminal, yeah, criminal lifestyle. Um, he, he was um, selling drugs. He was in the, the, the gang. And obviously it goes through generations and generations. Um, and obviously he went to the younger, the younger generation um, to say, look, if you go on any misdemeanors, if you're going on any, uh, you know, your missions at night or what, what not, you know, make sure Jermaine's not with you, you know. And I didn't understand at the time why sometimes my friends would go out and say, no, oh, no, you can't come. And I was like, well, don't they like me anymore or something? But, and they never told me why. But it was just, your dad protecting you? Yeah. Yeah, um, because obviously, you know, there was a, I was a, a, a kind of, a, I, was, I was a sensation at that age, you know, 10, growing all through the ranks, you know, big teams were interested in me. I was always in the lo no, local papers. I used to play with the, you know, my dad's Saturday team and train with them. So they knew the talent was there and, you know, I could make big things of, of that little council state I was from. And, and who was it that spotted you first and who gave you your first break? One thing playing for the local teams, another thing your dad saying you've got talent and people recognising it. So who was it that came along and said, yeah, we want this kid? Um, well, it was Notts County. Uh, I think we had trials at 10 uh, for Notts County, but I was playing for a local team by that, by, uh, I think I was nine. And then obviously he was, you're just making noise and, you know, it's like Chinese whispers. Oh, who's this, you know, young kid, you open have you seen him? And then sent out for trials at um, Notts County at the time. And then from then, it just t um, took off. I listened to you in a conversation um, with Jermaine Genus when you talked about carrying a ball everywhere. And, you know, there were times when you were out, you were doing things. 
that could have led you in that wrong no. path. And you're saying now you recently learned that it was your old man, your dad, who was supporting you and, and backing you. How, how troubling was your childhood? How, how challenging was it? One, to keep away from the criminal lifestyle, but what was life like at, at home for you, you know, as, as your parent, your dad in particular, giving you the support you needed? Yeah, um, it, it was difficult, to be fair, because it got to a stage, you know, my mother um, left when I was three. And my dad raised me along with his, his parents, my grandma and granddad. Um, and then by the time I was about four or five, you know, I was with multiple families, with, with stepmoms here, stepmoms there. And until I was about probably like 10, uh, when my brother, when I was eight, my brother was born. So I never had a mother around. It was all just me and my father. And I saw all my siblings grow up with their, with, with their mothers. And then it got to around, I would say, you know, when I was about 11, 12, when my dad started to not deal, turn into using. And that was hard because the guy that was my kind of hero when I looked up to, I saw his world crumbling. And there was issues with me already without having no other mother. Um, there was issues of abandonment. You know, my dad couldn't then really look after me. I was on my own. Never felt like all my stepmothers were, I could really call mum. So I was just literally kind of lost and the only thing I had was, was football. And obviously the more my dad started to get using, it was heroin, the further he went into that dark, dark hole and dark place. So throughout my childhood, there was a lot of um, abandonment issues, a lot of t attention I craved without having a mum in which, you know, growing up in my adult life really left some you know, some scar tissues and deep, deep down rooted issues that I didn't know until, you know, recently, really. And and so at such a young age, you, you channeled that abandonment, those things you were witnessing going on in your household with your dad, you channeled that into football. You used football as a way of escaping everything that was around you. Yeah, I used football to, to, to escape, to, to get away. But I also learned from a young age to... Uh, like put up a defensive mechanism to block out everything and you know cut my emotions off how'd you do that how'd you do that as a kid i think it's just of a, a, a period of just getting used to it getting used to being abandoned getting used to trying to survive um did you feel abandoned at that young age or is this something as an adult you reflect on and now you can put a word to it like abandoned no i i did at a young age because you know i in my bedroom growing up i didn't have carpet um didn't have uh, didn't have wallpaper and i saw my little brother grow up having you know coca-cola bed and the dinosaur wallpaper and i was the i was the eldest one so i just always felt like i wasn't good enough i'd see my um, stepsisters and brothers grew up with their mothers you know I never called out mum I never asked her where's mum I, I, I just felt like I was just second best I always felt that I was just there for the ride and you know I would when I was about eight years old I had to take myself to school and I'd see all my friends and how their families would treat their um, children and how it should be so I knew how it could be and how it should have been, but I just accepted what I was going through and just kind of shut off and just literally got on with it and survived. 
as an adult, when you reflect, what, what, what's the negative you took from that and what's the positive you took from that? Because, you know, those abandonment issues, that kind of what you've just explained sounds horrible for any kid of that age to go through. And there are probably lots of kids going through that, parents not recognising that they've abandoned their kids. But as an adult now, when you look back at what your life was like as a kid, what's the, the negatives and what's the positives that you've taken from that? Well, I start with the positive is that you know, I, I, like I said, there's probably loads of kids out there who may be in the same situation. And I can tell my story to give them hope that there is a uh, a better way out. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And um, the, the deep trauma that you carry and you don't address, which I didn't, will eat away at you inside and then cause um, self-destruction and destruction within your adult life. Um, so the positive is that I can, I, I, I've been there, I can tell you how to, you know, get the best out of the, the, the bad situation, try and shed that trauma. And the negative is, is that keeping it all in, it's like a ticking time bomb. It, it You cause so much destruction through your life. You, you take the wrong decisions, thinking it's the easy way out keeping your emotions in is probably one of the one of the biggest hurts and, and pain that you, you can feel because not letting that out and not speaking about it, it will just, no matter how strong you feel or how good you think you're doing, it will always come back and lead you down the wrong path and make you the wrong decisions. So despite the fact that you overcame some of those challenges in your early childhood, you went on to lead a really successful footballing career. But during that footballing career, you had some ups and downs, didn't you? Because oh, there 100%. Was, tell me about some of those. You know, when, when, when did it start to manifest itself? Because from the age of 10, when you were picked up by Notts County and you started on this projection of becoming you know, a professional football player, playing at the highest level, where did it start to go? I, I hesitate to say wrong, but you know, the trials and tribulations you experienced. I think it probably, to a certain degree, started to go wrong from from the get-go because I didn't have any structure in my life, zero stability. I didn't have, I felt like I had no love. I felt like I was on my own. Um, I didn't really have family to turn to when things were going great or things were going bad. I never had advice in financial situations I never advise on well this is gonna hamper your career let's do, I didn't have nothing so I was literally in the wilderness and like survival mode so from the get-go I was fighting a battle you know you put a line out of, of, of adults and you go you know if you've had any trauma step back if you've seen drugs step back if your family's separated step back if you haven't stepped forward. So the people who haven't had none of those battles are, are going to have a better way in life. I'm already, you know, five steps, seven steps further back. So I'm already in a loss. And going through my, my, my career, I was finding certain situations difficult. I didn't know about mental health. I didn't know about depression, which now I do. And I, I can look back and say, yeah, I was very depressed. I needed a lot of attention, especially from women, not having no mother around, which had massive, massive implications on my career. I'd making the wrong decisions rather than being a professional. I'd rather go out 
and seek attention to fill that void of never another mum around. I'd use a lot of things of my trauma as a child as excuses to make wrong decisions. Um, so it was from the get-go, but I had such good ability that I got to a certain point. But if I had a good backing and, and saw these these damages and these bad paths that I was taking and, and I addressed them earlier on, it may provide a, maybe I would have played for England. What, what, where were the clubs in, in, in all of this? I mean, uh, we hear about the clubs providing pastoral support and sort of helping young, talented footballers, at least today. Yeah. Did that not exist during your playing days? Not really. Um, you look now and it, there is things in place, but the best you had was a play liaison. But that was if you want to book a flight, if you need a hotel or you need this right. doing. Mm. But there was nobody there if you've, you know, really some deep issues, deep-rooted issues that you can go and talk to. I wouldn't feel comfortable of going into the club and speaking to the manager because then I'd think, well, his head's not right. I'm not going to play him next week. Then I think, well, my position's going to go. I want to play. And that's all I knew. If I wasn't playing, that's when I would go off the rails because that was my life. That's it. I didn't have the professionalism. I didn't have the great attitude that most players had to stay on the straight and narrow. If I wasn't playing, I felt worthless. So what do I do? Go and find something to do to make me feel worth my worthwhile. Go out, be around people who were probably bad at the time, but accepting me because I've got money or I'm, I'm, I'm famous and people be interested in me because I'm famous. But if I wasn't playing, I couldn't handle it. How did you turn the negative energy that was around you, you know, the negatives that you were oozing, mm. Onto what you could do on a football pitch, because it's one thing sort of living this life behind the scenes, being famous, getting the attention, going off the rails slightly. But on the pitch, you were phenomenal. I remember watching you, mm. and I'm, you, you know, and I'm not just saying it. I remember you playing. I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is the resilience you must have had. So you've gone through this childhood trauma, you've taken that into your professional career, still don't have the support, yet you go out on the pitch and you turn it on. How can you do that? Yeah, it, it, again, it's the, it's probably the, the survival mode that I've learned as a child growing up, how to adapt like a comedian. I can change in different environments. You know, most people couldn't travel away because they'll get homesick. But I was used to it because I've gone from home to home to home to home. You know, going to play in Singapore for a year was no problem for me. It was just like another day in the park going to play in different Spain for a year it was you know I could do it and I wasn't scared of it I wasn't scared of that so when I went on the pitch that was the part that I, I couldn't wait to, I, I, you know, I loved it training I was like oh, I hate training but as soon as I got on that pitch and that whistle went that white line that's when I came into to my own and no matter what was going on in life I would all it would always forget about as soon as I'm on that pitch then when you come off it, then you go home and that's when it all all comes out. What was the worst mistake you made off the pitch? I would say the drink driving multiple times. Drinking um, because you were burying these childhood yeah, traumas? Yeah, um, absolutely. There was, was probably, like I said, at the time I did, subconsciously you don't, you don't know. But these, these decisions, these urges and pulses to self-sabotage was all deep-rooted from, from, again, from childhood trauma and not having people around you as well, not having family there, you know, really took its toll on me all the way through my adult life. And 
I didn't know. It was just now thinking, oh, I've just made a mistake here. But it was there was a lot more deep-rooted issues that I never addressed. I tried to suppress them as best I could, but it's just, if you don't, you know, address something, it's, it's not going to change. If you keep doing the same mistakes, you know, you're going to get the same results. So the, the, the drink driving was just simply because I wanted to go out and, and see someone later and after a drink because I needed attention because that void was in there that having no mom, no mother around throughout my whole of my life, that, you know, I, I can say now, it, it really it really messed me up. It really bothered me. It's, it's interesting, and I pick up on that because, you know, you're a superstar, you're on a football pitch, you've got thousands of fans in a stadium giving you attention, you've got millions of fans around the world giving you attention, but it was that simple missing of a mother, you know, that simple person that makes such an impact on our lives so you had all the attention in mm. the world but it was the one thing that you needed that you didn't have and I'm sure off the pitch good looking guy you had mm. all the girls at that time kind of giving you all the attention why was there still such a gap in your life because it, as a growing up as a child that I think what maybe the first 10 years is the most important years of a child that's when they developed. That's the most important. So I was, I didn't have no mother around, no love. That love, that uh, the maternal love, I didn't have. So that, you know, would trouble any child. It's going to shape them to a certain way. Then on top of that, I would see my dad jump from relationship to relationship to relationship. He wasn't in a stable relationship. So I'm seeing a, as a young child, which I'm developing, I'm seeing not only no maternal love from a mother. So that I'm feeling like I wasn't good enough abandonment. Then I'm seeing my dad, father jump from relationship to relationship. So I'm thinking, oh, that's normal. So I was just, you know, I was, as a child, I've, I've, then I've seen the drugs and I've seen crime where I was brought up there. My, live, my, my housing conditions was, weren't great. So I was, you know, shaped in such a way that where I got to was a success to a certain degree, because it, you put any, a lot of people in that situation, they probably wouldn't have came out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So my relationships were, were doomed from the get-go. There was always, or I've never really had a, a, a healthy relationship until I started to address um, these issues. And now I've got a wonderful woman beside my, um, beside my side who's helped me immensely. The drink driving was the worst incident. What, what, what come of that? So you got arrested under the yeah. influence of alcohol in a car one night when you were playing for who at the time? I was playing for Arsenal. And then I got a year, year's ban. And then the following year, I had a week left of my ban. And I was at Arsenal again. And I went out with the boys. I wasn't playing. I wasn't in the squad. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to sit home being bored. And like I said, I, I, I go off the rails kind of when I wasn't playing. So I went out, got home at three o'clock in the morning. And then for some reason, I decided to go and visit a girl because again, I needed that attention. I needed to, that, 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 that pain that I've been suppressing all throughout my life. It, when you're drunk, all your emotions kind of come out. That's, you know, some people cry when they're drinking, they spill all the beans. Well, when I was drinking, it would, it would, it would come out. So I think I, I need attention. I need to go and see someone. So I drove and saw someone, got pulled over. Then that led to a prison sentence, a three-month sentence, and I served one month inside. 
So you're a professional football player yeah. playing for Arsenal. You get pulled over in a car and you get this is your just Second before you time, yeah. and you got a sentence. Yeah, went to prison. Went to prison, yeah, for three months, but I only served a month. Where did you go? Um, it was in Milton Keynes, Woodhill. Oh, I know Woodhill. Yeah. What was that like for you? Yeah, again, it was it was a scary thought because all I've known about prison is films. So I was, you know, you don't get me wrong, I was scared and it was degrading, but I didn't cry. I thought I would, but I didn't. But again, that's when that defence mechanism comes up. How old was you at the time? I was 23, 23, 24. And I remember being in there thinking, right, you're doing it again. Self-destruct. You've just ruined your whole career. You know, who goes to prison and comes out and plays in the Premier League? It doesn't happen. I was just thinking, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep pressing this self, self-destruction self button? Why can't it be normal? Subconsciously, I, was, I, I didn't know there was so much deep-rooted issues. I knew about my childhood. Obviously, I knew where I came from, but I didn't know deep down and to the extent that it was causing my life destruction. I Is was, that because of the persona you give off? Because you give off the persona, like, I can deal with it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big man. I've got to deal, I've had to deal with it since I was a kid. I'm going to deal with it as a, as a young adult. Yeah. You, you know, shocking that the football clubs were not there supporting you and they allowed this to happen um, and you take your own responsibility. When you were in prison, how did, how did they treat you, both the staff and prisoners? Because, you know, you're in the limelight at this point and you're going to prison and it's reported on, it's talked about in many different ways. What was it like being in the prison, in that environment where people knew Jermaine Penn and footballer? What was you treated like in prison? Well, I got treated like everyone else because at the end of the day, I'm a criminal. Um, there's no special treatment. The guards, again, didn't give me any special treatment. And it was a real shock. It was... You know, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It's not a nice place. You know, your freedom all goes away. The the, the boredom. It's, it's it's just a not a not a nice place at all. And it was probably the the, the worst part of the worst month of my life. Um, but at the same time, I had a lot of time to reflect, and I was telling myself that if I do get another chance, that I'm definitely going to turn things around. But without addressing my issues, I wouldn't have turned anything around. I probably have had a good six-month period and then I would have slipped back into my old trauma, old you know, depression issues until I you know, addressed them. Nothing really would have changed. So I when would, you come out, nothing changed. You were determined to change your yeah. life, but did you fall back into the same Same pattern? patterns, yeah. So I'd be... Um, well, crazy enough, my, my agent done a deal when I was inside. Birmingham and Arsenal agreed a fee when I was inside and I came out and had another chance to, to play in the Premier League with Birmingham. And you knew this while you were banged up, that yeah. you were going to come out and go and play on in the Premier League. Yeah, and that should have been, uh, well, to most people, it would have been, praise the gods. Mm. I've, you know, there's, there's an angel looking over me to give but me another chance. Domain. Not for me. It was... Right, I'm going to play football, but I would do the same mistakes throughout my career. I would, rather than staying on a Friday night, I would risk maybe going out until 12 with friends, 
rather than staying and be professional, I'd risk certain things. I wouldn't, I would sometimes turn up late. Do you think that was, as well as the kind of childhood trauma, an ego, because you were so talented and because you'd been treated up until this point as, you know, first name on the sheet, you were always going to get a game that you knew, regardless of what your behaviour was like. I read about the time you turned up, I think I was listening to you and Jermaine Dinas talking about the time you turned up at England and he said you turned up kind of music blasting, you turn up, you, you, you get straight on the pitch and, and you do your thing where everybody turned up in suits, you know, desperate to impress the manager. Do you think it was an egotistic thing? Do you think because you were so talented, your talent alone was enough for them to overlook your behaviour? To a certain degree, yeah, because when I was at Birmingham, you know, um, Steve, I spoke to Steve Bruce and he says, half the time I knew you went out, half the time I knew you wasn't, I shouldn't have picked you to teach you a lesson, but you was always, always the best player on the pitch. So I would just turn a blind eye and not ruin the team because we want our star players on the pitch. He said one night, the, the bouncers told me that he's Jermaine injured and Steve Bruce said no. Why? Oh, because he's here. Steve Bruce had all the bouncers in Birmingham at the time, you know. Keeping an eye on the Yeah, players. literally. <laughs> so they would tell him, and I'd think, how oh, does it gaffer know that now? <laughs> and um, so instead of, um, you know, giving me a fine and not playing me, he said he kept it quiet and he was going to think, right, he's obviously not going to want to start because he's been out, he's had no sleep, he's been drinking. So he's going to punish himself. So this will be given reason not to play him next week because he's not playing very well. Mm. He said, I le left it, didn't say anything, and you got man of the match. So I couldn't bring it up. So um, there was a, a, a certain degree where I, I knew I could get away with certain things. And I knew that once I was on that pitch, I would always give it 110%. I would think nothing's going to affect me. I'm going to, this is what I've been born to do. This is what I was born to do. This is the gift I got. Mm. Was this the point where you, because I remember it, can't remember what team you were playing for, and it probably was Birmingham at the time, and you played with a tag on your, your yeah. ankle, yeah. right? And it got a lot of attention. Yeah, it was the first. What was it like for you, though? Because there's lots of you know, sports reporters who wrote about it and other people who wrote about it, whether it should or shouldn't be allowed to happen. What, what were you thinking about it at the time? You're playing, you've got this tag on, you, you, you know, what was it like for you? Um, it was embarrassing. Was it? Yeah, it did. It did. It felt felt embarrassing because it's good to hear that though. Yeah. It's good to know that you felt embarrassed because you know, like I say, at that time you give off the persona like, well, you know, it is what it is because you don't know who I am and what I've been through. So it's nice to hear that you're saying it was embarrassing for yeah. you and it weren't a tag, as in, you know, look at me. Look I'm, at me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. Uh, the thing is with me, but I used to put an ego on. I used to put a, a different persona on to be liked, to be accepted because of issues that I had. So when people actually get to know the real me, I'm totally kind of the opposite of what I used to be like, but I didn't just go out just to be liked, get certain friends just to be liked. So yeah, having that tag was 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 very embarrassing. And I used to try and hide it as much as possible, cover it up so it won't seem, but it, no matter what, it got attention and the, the stick I would get from the fans, yeah, it, it was embarrassing. And that part of my, my career, yeah, it was a was a was a was a sticky one. Was a, not not a nice part. And I always say, I, if if there's anything that I could have changed, it would have been that part of my career. When did you first 
address the underlying problems that made you the difficult person that that you were mm. that you know the issues the the trials and tribulations when did you first recognize that now i need to get something done here it was when i was seeing my life kind of spiral out of control as in i would get opportunities at football and i would piss it up the wall it was when football finished i would get jobs maybe at, at Sky Sports and I was going through a bad part of my life in a divorce and I kind of uh, I went out the night before very late and done the Sky Sports show and got pulled off here and then I thought to myself and I speak to people how do I keep self-destruction why do I keep mm. pressing this red button and just causing myself hurt and despair what, what, what's, what is wrong with me and it's only probably the last year, really, or last six months. Last year, I would say, where I met Jess and she had a, a troubled upbringing and she's been very helpful and, you know, said, look, let's try and get help here. And speaking to certain therapists, we've shown me the, that, that things can get better and that you need to realise why and what is causing these issues and that you've got ADHD or ADD, which is you're prone to taking risks. So all these things that I've been aware of now, it's made me go, oh, okay, okay. I know when dangers are around, how I can behave, how I can make a change. How difficult is that though? How difficult is it coming to terms with the challenges that you're having to face about your your identity, your your past, you know, because there are things you can't change, as you say, but you can address mm. the underlying problems that makes you the person you're going to be from this day on, or at least since you started the therapy. How difficult is that? Because you've led a life of self-destruction. You can't just switch that no. life off. That still kind of lingers around you. It's around your aura. 100%, 100%. And it's like I said, that, that temptation will always be there. Um, but you've got to have, the, the one of the good things, you've got to have someone close to you, who's good for you, who's good for you. Um, and I've got that in my agent, in, in, in Jess, who really does spot any signs. And, and it's all about being determined to want to make change. That's the, probably the, the, biggest, the, the, the biggest step, is admitting, admitting that you've got issues, admitting that you know, mental, the, the mental health is there, admitting that something's not right, and wanting to make a change is probably the, the biggest battle. Do you think you've got that? Do you think you've got to that point where you do want to make a change? You're going to work on these issues? 100% because if I didn't, I would have ended up on a dark, lonely path. And I'm not getting any younger. I want to have a nice relationship. I want to have a family. I want to have a, you know, a, a good career in media now. And... If I don't make changes, that will not happen. You know, and I wish I addressed this a long time ago and I would have had a more successful career. And then people would have took me serious now in work where I still to this day probably struggle a, a little bit more in getting media work, jobs, um, TV stuff because of my past. They don't trust me, um, which is you know, rightly so, and they have their, they're right. So I'm still working hard on changing that image, how people perceive me as, 
And the main thing is I want to do that. And I'm enjoying the person that I'm becoming. Um, I'm benefiting from it. And I think it, I'm also here to help other, other people as well who, who have either gone through the same you know, stuff that I'm going through from childhood or youngsters who are in a bad situation or not getting a time of day in football or could be easily led away. So, you know, I'm seeing a better me with being honest with myself and knowing that I need help. And and does that does that also mean you have to address these if you haven't already or you're working on it at the moment, these kind of abandonment issues, the things that led you on this path of self-destruction, how much of that do you have to address? Or can you park that and sort of say, that's what caused my problems. I don't have to go back and try mm. and address that. I don't need to, you know, meet with my dad and talk about those issues. I mean, we all have those yeah. issues. And I'm just curious to know whether you can move forward and be the person that you want to become with Jess and turn your life around. How much of that past do you have to address, i.e. confront it, deal with it in order for you to put it away? Um, well, most of it really, I think you have to accept it. You have to basically not use it as an excuse. I think that's what I've been doing throughout my life, using it as an excuse. So when I do, you know, go off the rails, oh, it's because of what I've been through and, you know, letting it affect me. Rather than using an excuse, you go, all right, I'm aware of, it was difficult growing up. I know that. I know that the path that it led me on and it will continue to lead lead me on that path if I don't address it. I've forgiven my mom for never being there, forgiven my father for abandoning me when I, I had nobody to a certain degree. And I'm at ease with it. And I use it as a as a tool now to make the right decisions and speak to people, be open show my emotions because otherwise I'd bottle a lot of things up and, and that's when you, when you start going quiet within yourself and you keep things in it just eats away at you and you go back on that spiral again mm. have you ever had the chance to meet your mum no I think our last time I probably saw her when I was about 14 so you have since she abandoned you I saw her when I was 14 to 13 to get my a signature for a, for a passport that I needed to go to France for England under 13s. So without a signature, I won't be able to get the passport. And you've not seen her since. Is, no. it, is it something you think you have to do in order to get past where you're trying to get past now? Um, no, not really, no. I think it's, I won't say damage has been done, but it's got to a point where, like I said, I'm, 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 I've accepted it. For whatever reason, we didn't, have a relationship I've accepted it and I'm I'm over it and I don't look back and use it as an excuse anymore but do you know why have you been able to do you need to know why, no, well, I, 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 I don't think I'll ever know the, the honest truth because I have I've, of course I've, I've asked my father and my, my grandmother at the time the reasons I said you know and I spoke to my dad and he said I've never stopped your mum or yourself having a relationship he said it's your mum at the end of the day when I was younger and then I spoke to grandma like um, what's the issue and I've got one story and then another story from my mother my mother said that she got threatened that she couldn't have a relationship with me and never to go near near, near me as, as a child to, to just you know my, when my mum said that I was thinking that's a bit strange and my dad was you know only 22 21 I don't think he's really ready to 
to take take hold of a of a child. And my dad used to pick me up on weekends or, or take me back on weekends. He'd have me like once a week and take me back on the weekends. And he's saying that when I went to drop you off, she wasn't there. Went back for like three weeks in a row, ended up being six weeks, ended up being three months. And we just literally, she just vanished. And then my grandma said it was because her, my mom's parents, they didn't want her to have a child and she didn't want to have a brown child because she was about 17 at the time. Her parents were Scottish and Irish. And which I kind of believe that more, the story more, because I can remember my dad taking me back to my, 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 my mother's when I was younger. And I always used to cry when he was to go. Um, so I kind of believe that story, because again, there's no reason why my dad would threaten my not to come around, so. If you could change anything, about your career because there's been other incidents hasn't there that have been reported about you know the negatives is there anything that was said about you in the papers or reported on that just wasn't true that frustrates you no end you know I know what it's like to be demonized in the media when it's not true so you admit you went on this kind of self-destruction but was there any times where they said things about you or reported on things that you felt was unfair yeah there's a there's a Multiple things, um, you know, family family matters that that wasn't true. Saying my my, my brother's mum was uh, was an escort or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which was in the pra- papers. Uh, that 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 wasn't true. Um, there's stuff about myself that I was uh, an alcoholic, which well I, I don't I hate I hate alcohol. I only used to do it to God just because I was with friends and, mm. you know, they, but uh, stuff that would be detrimental to your kind of career that would have negative impacts. And just the, 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 the tag that I've got from the media, which to this day I'm still trying to scrub off was the, the bad boy. I was never a bad boy. Um, I'm not a bad boy. I'm not a gangster. I'm not a, you know, I don't go into work causing mischief or or mayhem. I'm not fighting. I don't, you know, I was never a, a bad boy. I was just a, a young kid who had issues, who had mental health issues, who had trauma and didn't address it and didn't know how to deal with it. And I'd let it out in different ways to the, you know, to make me feel better. But I was never a bad boy, you know. So them printing stuff like that kind of was harsh. I didn't really like it because I didn't know where I came from, what I've been through and why I was going off the rails. Um, and do you think now that you're more open and you're talking about these issues and explaining why you did what you did at the time, do you think the media are starting to reflect that? Do you think that, you know, coming on a podcast like this, sharing insights into your life, being as candid as you are about your upbringing, your life, your trials and tribulations, do you think they're being fair in reflecting that now? Well, I hope, well, I ho- that's the plan. That's the right. hope that, okay. you know, the, the kind of, it's, the, it's the real me because when you're playing football and you're, you're going out and you're, you do have an ego. You do have a, like a, a mask, a facade that you want people to think how you are. Mm. It's like, you know, you, you get you get certain players who on the pitch are cheeky, mm. arrogant and, mm. you know, but that's that's their character. Off the pitch, they're probably, you know, they might be totally different. They might be quiet and, and subdued and in themselves. Um, and, and that's what I was kind of. So I was labeled the bad boy. So I'd play up to that. Mm, of course. I would play up to being a bad boy. Mm. So I would like that image. So I, you know, 
but yeah, even Steve Bruce would call me morning bad boy. So I'd kind of live up to it. Yeah, of course. Because I'm accepted as the mm. bad boy, so that's mm. me now. But really, I'm totally the opposite. You know, I'm, I'm at home watching Harry Potter movies at nine o'clock. Like my glasses, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't> match. <laughs> so you know, I'm, I'm I'm at home, but you know, in bed at nine, just watching this. So I'm totally, you know, I couldn't be further from a bad boy. So hope now that I, I'm explaining and you do, it does come across different and the, the views are a lot different. And that's what I'm trying to get that image that, you know, playing career, okay. I'm not using my trauma, my, you know, my endeavors as excuses. They was just what I was going through at the time. What What does the future hold then? So you say, you, you, you know, explaining why you did some of the things that you did, dealing with your past mm. traumas in order to, to sort of move forward and, and people do see you as more reliable than this kind of self-destruct person. What what does the future hold then? I mean, what what is it you want to do now? Um, like I, I really, obviously, you know, sports has been all my life. So, you know, I really enjoy media. I really enjoy talking. I really enjoy, if, if it's about football, if it's about mental health, it's about my struggles, if it's about helping people, you know, I feel I could really benefit and all people could benefit from that. So that's my plan. That's my path. That's where I want to go. Um, TV work. So that's what I'm striving for. I had a great career in football and now I'm on a new path and a new adventure. What's the obstacles then? I mean, now that you've addressed the issues that led to the self-destruction and made it difficult, you know, not well, turning up at Sky, being drunk mm. and being taken off air. That's put behind you. Mm. What's the obstacles now, do you think? Um, I think it's still obviously trying to get a good image across. That's that's one um, obstacle. And not giving up. Because what I would do in the past is when things get hard, I think, oh, no one wants me, no one likes me. Let's feel pity for myself. Let's feel sorry for myself. Self-destruct. That's what it would have been. We're now just got to keep going, keep working hard, keep working hard. You know, um, I've got a great opportunity with with radio. I'm doing well on that, so I've got to keep working. I'll keep going, and look to strive to to get to as high point on high as possible you can get. Well, there's no question you've been a successful footballer, and what you're doing now. People will listen to you. You, you. you know, the fact we're sitting here talking, I'm interested in in your past. J just thinking about the the work that I do around prisons, mm. you know, trying to educate people about what life is like in prison, the challenges people face. It's not the kind of luxury that people make out. And you, you know, alluded to that when you said, you, you know, when you first got there, it was terrifying. It was terrifying for you, regardless of the, the, the image. Mm. What do you think about people's perceptions of, of life in prison and giving people who come out of prison who may have made a mistake, like drink driving, yeah. uh, another chance in life? Yeah, it's it's like if you go in prison, you're automatically branded with criminal. You're not really fit for society. You're sh not really going to get a chance. We don't want that baggage of you being a criminal prison in our workplace it's very difficult people being in that situation I can see how hard it is for them to better their life in society and I think that's very unfair everyone gets a second chance to change their life if you're an addict you go to rehab and to to, to fix your life up to to do better 
if you go in prison, there's no reason why you can't, you shouldn't, sorry, not you can't, but you should, you should be allowed to go on to better things if you do him right for yourself. Um, but once you go into, I was lucky. I, I was very lucky that the, the talent I had, that Steve Bruce wanted to give me that chance. But if it wasn't for him, then I would have been struggling. So I was lucky in that sense. But people in prison, it's fair, I can find, I see why it's very difficult from them because they're branded already with failure, not worthy, not trusted. Uh, and I can see why they can get themselves back inside because society is not accepting them. What's really interesting, sitting here listening to you, talking to you, knowing about your footballing career, the, the candid and honest conversation you have about your past traumas, which is really enlightening, actually. And I think you're an ideal role model, you, you, you know, in many different ways. You know, you've been a professional footballer who's been to prison but still came out and played football. You've had a traumatic childhood, you know. So there's lots of kids, girls and boys, who come from just elements of that. You know, forgetting the professional football, yeah. there will be some. Play- but you have so many different elements. And your word is powerful, whether you think it or not. And, 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 and I say that with the most respect in that because you've talked about feeling abandoned and being worthless and, and needing attention. But you have the attention of millions of kids. And so my final question to you, Jermaine, would be, what, what is your message? You, you know, your message about yourself is that you want to do better for yourself. You want to get your career back on track mm. to the point that you are satisfied doing the media work. That, But what would your message be for those young kids in various different scenarios that you found yourself in? What's your power message to them? And um, parents, I suppose. And yeah. Parents. Uh, do you know, for parents, it's is, is that the, the young children need attention. You know, they need uh, st- stability. It's, it's very important for a child's development. You know, don't leave them if they're crying. They're not going to cry themselves to sleep. It means they want attention. Pick them up. That's the, All these little things are going to be detrimental to a young child's development. Um, and for children or even young adults who have gone through similar things at me and can't seem to find a way out, speak about your issues. Speak to someone who's willing to listen. And then if it needs more, go and find you know professional help. There's loads of you know people out there, therapies out there that can help. I say, once you admit and understand that there's something, them deep issues are there, you can then build to fix them. You started a podcast to have these conversations. Why? Um, because I, I was, it was funny enough because there was a lot of youngsters in football doing crazy mistakes. You know, the, 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 the one that really thought, wow, I'm going to do start doing a podcast was, was Mason Greenwood. He's got himself in a situation he was playing at Man United. He was, you know, on the verge. He was 17, 18, big sponsor with Nike, playing for your country, at the world at his feet. And I was thinking, he potentially now could ruin all that. And I was thinking, it's a shame. I said, why is that? And I thought, well, he must be something deep troubling him. He must have trauma as a kid. He must have been through something like that. So I thought, you know, let me just speak about my traumas and... Anyone out there has been through may think, okay, I was, I'm the same. I've done that. Whether it's an athlete, whether it's uh, just a normal person in life, whether it's someone who works at a bank, 
mm. you know, all these things help people maybe that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and it does because I think people in the public eye like yourself who speak openly about mental health issues, traumas, it makes a difference. Jermaine, thank you so much for, for being so candid and open and honest. And I can imagine because I've had my own journey, yeah. I know there comes a point when you do start talking about it, 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 it is relieving and it's yeah. open. Um, so thank you so much for being so so candid and joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Absolute thank pleasure. You. Although I wish you played for Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> and, and not Arsenal and Liverpool. Thank you so much. I'm going to come there. Thanks for tuning into Second Chance Podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can find the video of this interview on our YouTube channel at Second Chance Podcast, where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please share our episodes with your friends, family and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is also crucial to the growth of our podcast, so please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. We rely on several talented individuals and teams to bring this podcast to life. Logan Martin assists create content. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. J-Row Productions creates original music. Studio Minerva designs our eye-catching covers. Social media marketing agency Scribble manages and creates our social media content. Kim Collicutt oversees episode production with me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Thanks for tuning in. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.